intro to my sermon, so now I, now I can skip my intro part. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, we're going to jump right in. Um, today, we're going to probably get a little deeper, um, so I, I want to pray that we really turn on our spiritually listening ears. I'm going to do my best to break down a, a couple of chapters of Hebrews, really, and I've entitled this The Deceitfulness of Sin. We'll talk about why in a minute. And we're really going to take a hard look at sin today and its effects on all of us. Now, this could be easily a whole series, and we're just not going to do that. Um, just kind of a topical thing for me today, and then Josh is going to share next week. But let's pray. Uh, I myself, I, I want to hear more and more of what God and His Word, as Sarah said, is saying to us. So I want you to do your best to not focus so much on what I'm saying unless I'm reading scripture, and just let scripture itself speak to you, and I'll do my best to add a little to it that doesn't take away or add to scripture, but uh, just praying that God would use me today. It's what he's called me to do. I'm very humbled by it. I don't take it lightly, because I'm not only to give an account of my life, but when I stand before God as a pastor, as a teacher, I'm also going to stand in account on behalf of your lives and what I'm feeding you. So let's pray today. Father God, thank you that we can just dig into your word and know that for more than 2,000 years, it has never changed. Man has come and woman has come and we've tried to in interpret it in a way that would suit our needs and suit our desires and wants and it's gotten away from you. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use me today to say exactly what it was meant to say when those that you inspired to write it wrote it. God, I pray that you would help us to listen and to focus on what you are revealing to us so that we can hear it and listen and respond in a way that would bring you honor and glory. God, I pray that no one leaves here today deceived by sin and what the enemy and how the enemy can use it to do. So help us, protect us, lead us, guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, let's dig right into Hebrews. I'm going to be in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 for the most part today. And um, so you can just kind of hang out there if you have your Bibles and want to follow along. I've done my best to put... Uh, the scriptures up on the screen. I will be reading from the New King James Version, uh, and you will have that to follow along with on the screen. So let's dig in. Hebrews chapter 3. I want to start by reading verse 12. And it says this Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. Let's just hold there for a second. Who is the author of Hebrews speaking to? Is he speaking to the church or not? Is he speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ or to the world? Who's he speaking to and how do we know? You can say it. Who's he speaking to? The church. Why? Why do we know that? It says brethren. Other translations will throw in brothers and sisters because it means the church as a body as a whole. So the author of Hebrews is speaking to us, the church, and he's telling us, the church, to beware, to, 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 to warn us, to 
encourage us to be careful to listen to, lest there be in any of us, us who say we believe, us who do believe, us the church, the called out ones according to scripture, lest there be in any of us an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so this warning is a warning not to depart, not to turn away from this living God that we know to be true, that we have believed to be true, but Paul knows, or I'm assuming that's the author of Hebrews, that's kind of debatable, but I'll just say Paul, most people think it's Paul. The author of Hebrews is warning us because he knows that even we still have a sin nature and can be distracted and can be turned away and can be drawn back into unbelief if we allow that to happen. So that turning away comes through unbelief. And I want us to understand that belief or unbelief before or after salvation is a heart issue. Today, it might seem like at times I'm talking about what we do and our actions, and I'm going to, but I don't want you to hear it's our works or our actions that can either earn us or not earn us a spot in heaven. I believe our actions and our, um, our serving, any outward thing, those are a direct evidence or proof of what's going on in our heart. And so I'm not here today to tell you just to try harder on your own strength or to try harder in outward things to try to do more so that you don't turn away from God. If we are struggling with sin, and most of us do, it ought to be a process and we continue, we, we kind of have victory over one and we move on to something else that God reveals to us as sin. And sin is anything outside of what the Word of God teaches. Anything that goes against God and His glory is sin. And so when we sense that conviction, we have a choice to make. And if we find ourselves falling back into it, then what we're saying is there's really still a desire in our heart there present for that sin. And maybe, at least in the moment, it's more than our desire for God. And so instead of telling God we need to do better, what we need to do is we need to seek God and we need to ask God to change what's in our heart. Does that make sense? It is a heart issue. Belief, unbelief is a heart issue. It goes on to say, but, here's the warning, so that you and I are to now encourage or to exhort one another, how often? Daily. Why? While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin has a way of hardening our hearts if we allow it to. And so Paul is giving us a warning. And then Paul is also saying, now you guys ought to be motivating one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, so that we don't become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. All right? In other words, Paul's saying you and I really do need each other to keep living a life that lives in a, a process of victory over our sinful nature. 
and, and it's constantly being drawn to God and away from sin. We need each other. If we don't purposely have each other to motivate and encourage one another, we're going to start isolating ourselves, and that's going to draw us back into our kind of our natural bent, which is towards sin. So to exhort here can mean to encourage, but it's more than just saying, hey, good job. All right, it's more than that. The stronger meaning is to urge and or to implore. In fact, it's very close to the Greek word paraclete, which is a word used for the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be in us, he comes alongside us. He's called to the side of us to hold us up. That's what this Greek word is also like. You and I are to be called to the side of one another to urge and to, to motivate and to exhort and to implore each other daily so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin, and especially who is behind it, can and will deceive you if we don't learn how to battle it. We've got to learn how to battle it. Too many of us are, are being drawn into this belief uh, or theology that says, well, man, now once you're saved, you're saved. It's, it's good. I don't have to worry about sin anymore. Yeah, you do. I, you shouldn't worry about it, but you have to battle it still. Your sin nature doesn't leave you when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you at salvation. That nature doesn't leave. And this is why God told um, Cain and Abel, uh, let's go back to Genesis uh, chapter 4 for a minute. In Genesis 4, 6, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry and why has your countenance fallen? Now let's pause there for a minute in case you guys aren't sure where this is headed. So Cain and Abel were, uh, were sons of who? Adam and Eve. So we're talking not very long after sin entered the picture, Cain gets angry in a sinful way. Does anyone know why right here? Anyone remember why? Cain and Abel both brought an offering to God. Abel's was accepted. You can go back and study all the whys and stuff of that if you want to, but I'm just making it quicker here. Cain's Abel was accepted by God. Uh, or excuse me, Abel's uh, offering was accepted. Cain's offering was rejected. And Cain got angry. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Now listen to what he says in verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what lies at the door? Sin. And its desire is what? For Cain, its desires for you. Sin wants you. That was Satan's ultimate plan. But what did God say? But you should what? Rule over it. Now, God says this to Cain before Cain murders Abel. God is good that he'll come to us and warn us about our sinful ways and not to let it go so far that we start drifting away from God. Cain had yet to commit murder here, 
but he had committed the sin of anger. And Cain obviously disobeyed God's saying by, you must rule over it. And really what God is saying and how it applies to you and I today is, does God know you don't have any power over sin on your own strength without him? Does God know that? Yes, now that sin is into the world, God knows that. And so what God does is he puts us in situations where we can't rule over sin unless we turn to him. Unless we seek his help, ask for his power, ask for his ways, ask for him to change our heart so that our desire for God is more than our desire for sin so that we don't get deeper into sin in such a way that it might literally, like in Cain's uh, case, bring forth death. Did Cain listen? Nope. Cain didn't listen. You read on in Genesis, and Cain murdered his brother Abel. All right, so let's go back to Hebrews now, and I want to read verse 13 again. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So there's, again, this case of believing for the first time, but believing not just being a one-time decision. Believing means be believing. To believe in Jesus is to believe and then to keep on believing. All right? I was saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. All right? I know I say that a lot, but it's, it's kind of all... It's not just I'm saved... I will be saved, and it doesn't matter what happens in the middle. I think it does, and we're going we're gonna to look at that in a minute. Because what happens in the middle is evidence whether we truly believe or not so that we can expect the promise of I will be saved. And that's why Hebrews says here, we know that we become partakers of Christ not because we've earned it, but because we are believing in such a way that we're not drifting away from God. We are holding the beginning of our confident belief steadfast to the end. We'll slip, we'll stumble, we'll fall at times. But a believer, a true believer, gets back up, goes back to God, confesses sin, asks for his power. And we're going we're gonna to see that as we go throughout Hebrews here. All right? All right, let's move on. Um, maybe okay I want to look ahead to Hebrews to a very important point that scripture reveals to us here in these next couple of chapters but I want to I want to mention a few things first first of all I want to point out that within chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews the author quotes this three times that's uh, 3 315 I believe there we go. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So if you read all of Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, and I guess if you want to have homework, that's your homework. Read it and study it more. But 
three times the author quotes this Old Testament passage from Isaiah. This very quote, three times in these two passages of Scripture. So I think he's trying to get his point across to us. If you hear his voice, God's voice, it will never contradict Scripture. All right, so you have my permission to not listen to me if I'm contradicting this, and you have my permission to not listen or hear anyone else if they are contradicting this. But if God is speaking to you about something, challenging you about something, asking you to give something up, you can second guess it, but if he's revealed it to you, you have a choice to make. And what you do with that choice will decide if your heart gets harder towards him or gets softer. The softer your heart gets towards God, the more clearly you hear his voice. The harder your heart gets, the harder it is to hear the voice of God. So that's why Paul here is warning us, okay? So he says this statement three times. He also says another statement three times throughout Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, and that's the next verse I have up here. You'll see this mentioned three times. Go ahead and let, yep. So I swore in my wrath, God is speaking, they shall not enter my rest. Hebrews 3.11, Hebrews 4.3, and Hebrews 4.5. I'll say that. They shall not enter my rest. Now I want to talk about this phrase rest here really quick. Some scholars and theologians believe that there are three types of rests taught in Scripture and referred to here throughout Hebrews chapters 3 and chapters 4. Let me just give them to you quickly. I probably should have had them up here to help you guys out, but if you're taking notes, I'll try to go slow. The first one is a salvation rest. All right? A salvation rest. When we come to Christ by faith, the Bible says that we have peace with God all right when we put our trust we sang that song all my hope when we put all of our hope in Jesus and what he did for us and not in ourselves not in our works not in our ethnicity not in how much money we make not in where we were born not in where we were raised if we put our hope in Jesus for salvation the Bible says we have a rest and we have peace with God through that faith. The second one, theologians and scholars refer to as a submission rest. Now, the reason I say scholars and theologians is because you're not going to find these terms in Scripture. Um, okay, so these are just terms that man has put on what the Bible teaches, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that some more. So the submission rest is this. When you and I yield and learn and obey him by faith we have the peace of God it means we're living now in a state of peace this this is how they're referring it to so we have a salvation rest when we put our trust in Jesus and we have peace with God but if we go on living our lives in such a way that we're being disobedient we're not gonna have the peace of God with us that's the submission rest that's resting and assurance and being assured that I'm on the path towards God as I yield to him as I submit to him as I obey him I will not just have the peace of God but I will have peace with God does that make sense 
Okay? All right? You will hear me mostly preach about you having peace with God. I'll always offer invitation to, to, to get you the peace of God. But I want you and I to live. I'm so tired of the church either living here where they made a one-time decision and then they don't worry about this life after salvation but before they die and then they just are waiting around for heaven. There's no peace if we live in disobedience to God. And we can claim to have assurance of salvation and I'm here to say you may have and you also may not have. And so it's here that's really important for us in being assured that what we said we got back here, we got. Okay? So salvation rests, submission rests, and then the third rest is what they're calling the sabbatical rest. They call it that because God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, God did what? God rested from all of his works. So when you and I die, we don't have to worry about working at overcoming sin anymore. We don't have to worry about going to work. We don't have to worry about pleasing people anymore. We don't have to worry about sin. We don't have to worry about Satan. We have rested now from our works, from our life on earth. And if you have Jesus, whoo, you get that sabbatical rest that lasts forever. Man, who's thankful for that? <laughs> That hope, that hope is what should motivate us to get through the stuff of this life. Because if we have that hope, then it means we should have already found ourselves being hopeful and grateful in Christ. And now we don't have to just look back at the one decision we made and not worry about life we can look forward and say hey the trials that I'm going through today what I'm facing today is nothing in comparison to the hope and peace and glory of God that one day I'm going to experience forever that's the kind of peace with God that I want you and I walking in because of that hope does that make sense so a salvation rest a submission rest, and a sabbatical rest. And herein lies the deceitfulness of sin. It's within those three rests that I'm going to, I hate to use the word devil's advocate, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at a little closely using scripture, okay? Here is the deceitfulness of sin and the, and the very deceitful move of our enemy. This is what he wants us to do. He wants you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ, as those claiming to be Christ followers, he wants you and I to forget about the submission rest. Don't worry about this. And this is how it sounds at times. Now, I might be extreme, but I hope we can all follow it. You don't have to yield to God because you're saved now. You don't have to learn more about God because you're saved now. You don't have to obey God because you're saved. Live a little. You can't be perfect anyway, so why even try? Your hope is only found in what's ahead because of what you did in the past. So don't worry about today. This is our enemy 
at his best. Adam and Eve had the Garden of Eden. So they had this on earth, right? And their salvation was put in this. To trust God when he said, you can name the animals all you want to. You can uh, enjoy all you want. You can eat from any tree. Uh, I've made it for your glory. I've given you each other. You have everything you've ever wanted. All I'm asking you to do is not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So their salvation rested in trusting God's word not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Everybody with me? And here comes the enemy. Did God really say that? Are you sure? God just doesn't want you to be like him. I mean, it's called for crying out loud, the knowledge of good and evil. Why wouldn't God want you to have that knowledge? Do you see where Satan and sin has deceived you in the past? And still today, he's given his all to try to deceive you even now. Live a little. Don't worry about this. I mean, God sent you. God is good. God is love. God is forgiving. You don't have to worry about sinning. You're saved now. It's okay. There's a lot of truth in that with just a little bit of weight. Not quite. And that's why the better you and I know this, the better we understand our enemy and the better we understand our God. So if you want to take the chance of not worrying about this submission rest and all your hope is in salvation and sabbatical rest only, I'll say be my guest. I would not, that's not me encouraging you to do that. And, and we'll talk about why. I think we ought to not worry about it, but we ought to be working. No, God just doesn't want me saved. I don't care what you say, enemy, evil one, Satan, sin. God does want me saved, but God also wants me yielding to him. God also wants me submitting to him. God also wants me obeying him. Right? We know God wants that, right? That is God's will, right? And yet, how often are we just satisfied here and so we'll just keep yielding to sin, keep disobeying God, you know, those hard things because, I mean, we're better than most. We start playing the comparison game, right? Well, man, if it was that way, then there really wouldn't be that many that are saved. So surely God wouldn't ask me to do that. And again, I'm not here to tell you what he's asking or not asking of you. But I'm here to tell you it's found right here. And we can know it. I know God's word says it's wrong, but it's not that bad. You have your salvation, right? God understands. God knows. Why? Well, I know the Bible calls that sin, but I mean, we're all sinners. Guys, I've, I've been just as guilty as you have. And falling for that crap. And falling for that deceitfulness. 
and falling for that stupid voice of the enemy telling me that when I know that's not what my Bible says. Are you ready to get in now what the Bible says about that? Let's keep going here. Let's keep reading. Um, I want to read some scriptures. Uh, let's, the first one's found in Hebrews 3, 18 and 19. And to whom did he, this is God reading, or this is God speaking, that he's referring to God. Who did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who what? Did not obey. Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Did you see what God's word does here? It uses do not believe or disobedience in the same kind of sentence and meaning as what word? Let me, you guys didn't, let's back up. Let's back up. No, you, you guys said it right. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Who would not enter his rest? Those who did not. So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Why doesn't it say because they didn't obey? And that's what it just said. I'm confused. That sounds like Satan to me. He wants you to read that and be confused. Or it simply means God's word is attaching. Hey, when we disobey God... It's evidence, I'm not talking about salvational belief here necessarily, although it could mean, but it's evidence that in that moment, we're choosing to disbelieve or unbelieve what God has said and believe what sin and Satan is tempting us towards. Does that make sense? Because belief and unbelief is a heart issue, not an outward issue. The outward stuff is, remember, a sign or evidence that what's in here is correct. Now, let's keep going so you can, I'll, I'll get on my point if you haven't already heard it yet. Hebrews 4, 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, this rest, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Hebrews 4, 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience so what we see here from not only Hebrews 3 and 4 but we see this throughout Scripture faith and belief equals obedience unbelief equals disobedience and we try to separate sometimes we even in the church are too guilty of saying Oh, well, you believed, so you're good. It doesn't matter if you're living in obedience or disobedience or not, because you believed, but does it matter? If I truly believed, then the evidence or sign of that is that I'm going to be obedient. Now, because sin will get the best of us at times, here's the difference between Totally turning away from God and just praying and confessing. All right, let me give you an example of this really quick. Um, I don't have one written down, so I just got to think of one really quick. 
So let's say I've chosen to put my trust in Jesus, and I have. I understand the gospel. I know what God has done for me through Jesus, and I know without him, I am lost hopelessly because of my sin, because it's caused separation from God. I've heard the gospel story. I understand that God created me, that my sin now has separated me, that God loves me and so he sent Jesus for me and Jesus commanded me to repent. That means to confess and believe and admit and accept and all in one, to, to turn away from the old Jeremy and to ask Jesus to come into my life and he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit and now I'm going to be empowered to live the way God wants me to live. But because I still have a sin nature, I have choices to make along the way. I can feed the Spirit of God inside me or I can feed the flesh in me. And that's the reason why I'm asking all of us from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday to just give up something of the world. Now, if you're like regularly struggling with the same sin, start there first that you know is like willful sin. Start there. And if it's just something that you know is just worldly and doesn't really feed your spirit, give something up. Could be food related, could be entertainment related, could be, I mean, there's so many things. And then say, okay, I'm going to start feeding my spirit and so that I yield and teach myself to be fed and, 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 and submit to what God's telling me and obey him. All right? Now, am I going to slip up along the way? Am I going to sin still? Probably. I mean, I have power not to, but I'm still going to probably, you know, get angry in my heart that, that, um, that goes beyond the, the being angry without sin. I'm still going to get frustrated, and I do. Um, I'm still going to covet things at times, probably. I'm trying not to, but I do. Still going to lust for stuff. Again, not just willfully live in it, but I'm going to mess up, right? So, if I truly believed and I mess up, now what do I do? If I'm a true believer, I also know the tr truth is when we sin, I also have an advocate, 1 John says, who is Jesus Christ, who is my mediator, who is my high priest. And I can go to him and because of what he's already done, he can forgive me and I can stay on the path of the straight and narrow way even though I sinned after salvation. That's the right way to do that. The wrong way is to, and again, I'm going to say, say, I can't judge anyone's salvation. I can look at some fruit evidence, but I'm still not the judge and it's not my place to say you're saved or you're not. Now, if you come to me and ask, I'll ask you some questions and help walk you through it, but I, I'm just, I'm not, God is that person. So if you're professing to be saved, and then because of sin's deceitfulness, you mess up, and then you start realizing a bunch of people mess up, and then you start realizing some people are saying it's so okay to live that, that's just it's just okay to be a drunk. I mean, you're saved now. You can just continue going on being a drunk. That's just something I'm throwing out there, okay? And you don't repent because Satan and sin has tricked you into saying, oh, but you're saved, 
so you don't have to change the way you live so you can now live in that lifestyle of sinful behavior in this case drunkenness and I'm saying if that's you you are continuing to be disobedient or if that's any one of us if we're continuing to be disobedient and we're not repenting we're not yep God you're right that's sin I'm sorry man I need some help here's some things that I'm gonna do to help out but what happens is if we just oh, well there's so many other In fact this church over here says it's okay to be a drunk I mean just whatever we will start turning away from the truth of God in our lives we start walking in such a way that man I don't think we can have much assurance I mean the Bible talks about we can be we can have assurance of heaven read first John 2 and you're gonna 2 3 through 6 and you get assurance it's tied to obedience by the way not because that's what earns us salvation but that is the fruit we are to bear when we said we repented John the Baptist said this to the Pharisees hey what are you coming out to be baptized for you need to bear fruits worthy of repentance all right it's not baptism that saves you it's not just getting wet and being okay it's we need to show our lives need to show that we've turned from who we used to be and we're turning towards God and if or when we mess up we know a, a true believer says man I messed up I'm gonna call sin sin and I'm gonna confess to God I'm gonna talk to my accountability partner because this is really a struggle for me and the Bible says to confess my sins one to another and and pray for each other so that we can be healed right is that easy it's not easy but I want you to be assured of having peace with God not just peace of God that happened years ago if it even happened correctly and again you that's between you and God I want you to have the peace of God and I want you to have peace with God so you can know that you know that you know that one day you're not going to fall according to the same example of disobedience and if you read around Hebrews 3 and 4 you're gonna find out that a lot of Israelites the the chosen people of God didn't make it into the promised land their rest their land in Canaan because of disobedience but that wasn't tied to their works that was tied to their heart of unbelief God I, I read this I can't remember if it was today's devotional reading or yesterday for those of us men that that John's leading through this devotion but this phrase stuck out to me God wants your wants God wants your wants if you're wanting sin God wants that so it's not weighing you down anymore if you're wanting him God wants that too and he's gonna bless your life for it God wants your wants here's the problem so many times you and I don't want what we need so many times you and I don't want what we have we don't want what we need and we don't want what we have we want what we want it's that selfish sinful nature and I'm here to say God doesn't want you just to need him God wants you to want him I pray that prayer a lot I do God I want you and I need you today I don't ever want to be so prideful that I think I don't need God and I don't ever want to be so worldly that that I start wanting other stuff and they get in the way of my relationship with God I want God 
and I need God, and I ask God to do a work in my heart, not change the outside. If God changes the inside, the outside's going to get changed. If you're here today and you can't get over something, it's not just about trying harder. You need to ask God to change your heart. You need to ask God to put in your heart desires for the things that God desires and listen to me now, hate for the things that God hates. Does God hate people? No, so I'm not talking about people. You don't have my permission to hate people. God loves people. But you do have permission to hate the sin that's inside of all of us. And so if you're struggling, struggling with something sinful, ask God to help you hate it. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to help you love something more than that sinful nature is desiring. I'm not asking you to do more. I'm encouraging you to believe more, to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates. And that's a heart issue, not a works issue. I truly believe if we ask God to change our hearts, our actions and our works will follow. Worship team, come on up. I want to end with this passage in Hebrews 4. So as much as it is, I know to be distracting by them coming up and walking around. Let's look at a screen and let's read through this scripture together, okay? This is what's so cool. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture about the word of God. And it just occur occurred to me oh, over the past year or so where it's at in context with what scripture's teaching. This is smack dab in the middle of Hebrews 3 and 4, what I'm teaching about today called the deceitfulness of sin. And so listen to what it says. Right in the, right in the midst of all this, hey, they didn't enter in because of unbelief and disobedience and don't follow their example, obey God. For the word of God is living and what? Does the word of God, if it's planted inside of you, does it have power to change your heart? to help you overcome your sinful ways? Yes, it does. It is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I mean, it, it is so powerful. It'll reveal to you why you do what you do. And I want you to be bold enough to know not just what you're doing, if it's right or wrong, but why you're doing it. You get into the word of God that's living and powerful. It's going to help you determine that. Let's read on. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right? That seems scary, doesn't it? And then it goes on, verse 14. Now listen to this hope. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so what's the therefore? Let us therefore come what? Boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. 
when we sin and find grace to help in time of need. Do you see what the author is saying to us here? God doesn't want you just coming to Jesus the high priest when you fall short only to ask for mercy. He wants you to ask for mercy and ask for a, an empowering grace that will help you the next time you face what you came to God for mercy for. And so what God is saying is, I don't want you to just come for mercy. I will grant that. You can come boldly when you come to me in Jesus' name and I see that you are a true believer. But I want you to ask for help so that when you leave here, this altar of prayer, you walk out of here and you don't only receive mercy because of your sin, but you now feel empowered of God to say no, to resist the next time, to remember this sermon. Nope, I believe in God. I don't have to disobey. I can obey. I can resist temptation. I don't have to listen to the voice of the enemy. The word of God that's living and powerful says this. And I called on God, not just for mercy, but on his grace to help me in my time of need. And you know what? If you just take five to ten seconds to do that, that moment of temptation will pass just like that. Just be gone. And you move forward and you go on. Maybe it means running. Maybe it means turning around. Maybe it means closing something. I don't know. But you will have not only the peace of God, but you will have peace with God. And I'm telling you, that can happen over and over again. That's what I live for. It is. I live to help you do that. I want us living a victorious Christian life, not a, oh yeah, I got saved once, I'm just not really living for the Lord now. Why not? Let's live for the Lord now. The more we do that, the better example we are of Christ and the more people that are living for the world are going to come to us and want what we have. And we can point them to him. So this is my guarantee. We're going to sing that song, You Came Again. But you got to come. When you come boldly to the throne of grace, know that God will come boldly to you and grant you mercy and grant you grace to help in your time of need. So yes, I know this is a tough passage. Any sin, I don't care how small or how big, you've been wrestling with, struggling with, whatever. If you come to God, he will come to you. You can come boldly and confidently, and he's going to come boldly and confidently. As we sing this song, won't you come in response to what God is speaking to you?